Thank you for listening to the Wednesday in the Word podcast. I'm Chrisanne Murata. Today, our guest Ed Scully will be teaching on how to share the Psalms with others. For more talks on the Psalms, please visit our website, which is WednesdayInTheWord.com. So glad you joined us. Picture this scene for a moment. Um, crowd of uh, our congregation of Israel coming together. Uh, possibly a religious festival or one of the major feasts. Uh, the congregation is waiting expectantly for things to begin. Uh, they're in the sanctuary. Uh, worship is going to commence soon. A priest or musician rises, perhaps the director of music, summons the people to sing, summons the music to begin. And we read in Psalm 81, Sing for joy to our God, our strength. Shout aloud to the God of Jacob. Begin the music. Strike the tambourine. Play the melodious harp and lyre. Sound the ram's horn at the new moon. And when the moon is full on the day of our feast, this is the decree for Israel, an ordinance ordinance of the God of Jacob. So begins Psalm 81. Uh, The stage is set. You have this sense that something big is going to happen, something major. And indeed it is. God is going to speak in this psalm. Um, And this is really what our topic is about today. Setting a stage for God to speak. It's, it's As teachers, what do we want to do? How are we going to enter and get people's attention and say, now focus your attention on what is going to happen, and it's God that's going to be doing the speaking. Um, so it's how do we prepare our message for the people, and how do we prepare people for the message. Um, more accurately, how might God, you might allow God to use us to do these things. Um, we... Uh, talked a bit in the past few weeks uh, about our goal as teachers, just to review, why, what is our goal as a teacher? What are we really trying to do when we teach scripture uh, to people? What's our, our main focus? What's the outcome, the objective? Change lives. Change lives is one of the biggest things, right? We want to impact people's lives. Okay. Um, We've talked about uh, teaching psalms, and what are some ways, you might think of specifically, what are some of the ways that we want to change people's lives when it comes to psalms? Uh, when you think about getting to know a psalm, or getting to te- preparing to teach a psalm, or thinking about how a psalm might impact, uh, impact your life, uh, what, how does that look? What are some of the things that you would like the people in, uh, that come to hear uh, leave and then begin doing in their life? What are those things? Obviously, we say generally we want to impact our life, but what is it when it comes to Psalms that we want to impact? What are some of the things we would hope they do? Pardon me? The prayer life. Okay, the prayer life. That's what it tries to do. So it might be uh, uh, doing something more prayer or even praying the Psalms or, okay, learning more about the Psalms. What else that they would do? So praying is one. What else would you do with the Psalms? What else? See God's priorities in life. Okay, see God's priorities in life, so that they're going to uh, be reoriented in their thinking. How about just see God? Okay. See God, learn more things. Yeah. (laughs) Right. And then uh, it's hard sometimes to think about the specifics of what you want someone to do. And what what helps is as you go through the process with a psalm, uh, you're going to come to a point where you're going to realize this changed me in some way. And if it changed you in some way, it it had to do more than just change your thinking. Uh, There's something that's going on that's different. Uh, or you really haven't changed. Just you have an intellectual learning or knowledge that's all that you've gained. Uh, when we look at uh, the scripture, really, we have 
the text and we have life. We keep talking about this is our purpose. And we've spent most of our time over here so far. Okay? We've talked about how we interpret the text, how we can make it real uh, to our life and things. Uh, but, but we've been talking a lot here. What's the difference between a theologian and a teacher? Where is a theologian sitting all the time? In the text. Okay? He's studying the text. Uh, I always wonder, how can you be a theologian and not you know, a Christian? You know, <laughs> but you can be. You don't, it doesn't really have to affect your life. You can be over here intellectualizing about Scripture all the time. Right? And some of us, when we, when we teach, this is what we like. We like the information. <laughs> we like to discuss it. We want to learn a lot of things, a lot of information. Um, when uh, David did his first talk, um, he gave four purposes of the Psalms. I just want to read those. Four purposes. Where do they fall? Relate honestly toward God. Evoke an emotion. Make us participants in the story. It's a guide to worship. The importance of reflection and meditation. Is it here? It's over here. So we talk about, here's our purposes, here's our goals, here's what we want to do. right? Uh, but often... We come and this is what we're really looking for, or this is what we want to spend a lot of our time doing. So we have to reorient. We have to think, okay, we keep saying we want to impact lives, we want to change. Information alone won't do it. Uh, we know that because you can be a theologian and may not impact your life at all. So we have to look at what it is uh, that can impact a life and uh, how that works itself out. I think when we think of Psalms in particular, we might think of things like prayer, which was mentioned. With the Psalms, what else would we want them to do with the Psalms? Pray. You know, praise, okay. Prayer and praise, that could be part of prayer, right? Now, if we want them to pray the Psalms, what else do we want to do? We want them to read them, right? We hope maybe they'll read them more, okay? Or study them. Meditate. These are some of the actions we're hoping that's going to be very specific in their life now. After teaching and talking about the Psalms, that they'll use the Psalms for their prayer life. Uh, They'll read the Psalms more. Uh, They'll meditate. Something we do in church, service, and at home maybe. We sing some of the Psalms, so we get them, put them to music and sing. These are things we're doing, and these things impact our lives when we do them. And uh, the basic thing we want to do here, you have your text and you have your life. The teacher's job is to connect these two. Okay? Somehow you're going to translate the meaning of the text into life. Okay? Somehow you need to prepare people and help them see their need for the text. And it goes back and forth. And so this is basically what, what we want to happen uh, in teaching. We want to impact a life and that we want the text to do that, which means we can't just have a, theolo- a theological discussion without consciously thinking about how we can bridge this um, to people's life. <clears throat> now, I know we're, we're right now preparing for Wednesday in the Word. There's kind of a 45-minute is it talk and then groups, and, and we can easily fall into that that thing of, well, the first 45 minutes is this, and then the next 40, the 15 minutes or half an hour of the group discussion is over here. And uh, that way I can get up and do all the great information, and I'll leave it up to everyone else to do 
this aspect of it. Okay, uh, and I think that can be uh, a fallacy in their thinking because we're not consciously then trying to connect the text to life. This is something that's going to happen if we talk about oh, giving background information. We talk about the main part of your lesson. Maybe we talk about summary or closure, whatever you do at the end. Each one of these things you need to be connecting. Some people say, oh, well, I'll, I'll give my information at the end. I'll tack in five minutes of application. Okay? It doesn't sound like the purpose is to impact your life. It doesn't sound like that. It sounds like your purpose is to give information, and you hope somehow they take on the task of impacting life. So it's not so much the teacher is going to do it, but the individual will do it on their own. And we leave it all up to them. Okay? So what we want to do is talk about how can we get people's lives and text connected. And one of the biggest things that we'll talk about over and over again is think about how it's changed you, and share that, and then get them to experience that change. And also ask yourself, what is it that I... Um, want them to do and are you doing that in your teaching okay in other words you're practicing it you're doing it with them um, what we want to do today really is, is focus on uh, how to to do just this um, I mean it's really great to have someone come up at the end of a lesson if you're teaching a lesson for them to come up and say that was really interesting you know that was great thanks you know I enjoyed listening um, but it's far better, and if uh, you've taught for a while, you may have had this experience, but it's far better when someone comes up and says, you know, because of something you said, you know, I, I read this more, or, or I do this more in my life, or now I do this. And when, you, when as a teacher you hear those kinds of feedback, you go, wow, that's really a compliment if, if you're thinking in terms of a compliment. But that's really what your goal is. Because of what you've said, now I'm doing this. So when you evaluate your lessons, you want to look at, okay, has there been a life impacted? You know, are we just leaving it up to them or the group leaders to deal with that? Or are you as a teacher doing that uh, when you teach? Uh, so to order, in order to understand, there's really three things we have to do. We have to understand how we engage a person in the text so they can do some of these things in the context of a lesson. We have to know something about the learner. Who is this person? How do they think? Uh, and of course, we need some sort of format or put it all, how we put it all together. And those are the, really the three things uh, we want to address today. Let's look first at how we actively engage people. And with that, um, I'd like to come back to Psalm 81, which I read at the beginning of. You don't need to look at it right now. We'll look at it in a minute. Um, but one of the things we want to do and talk about, and uh, I have to say, I have to. I'm going to try to go quickly through this because. A few years back, we did a six-week thing on this, and we didn't have a specific contact like Psalms, which, of course, adds some nice content to work with. Um, so I've been doing nothing but trying to pare down, pare down, pare down. I've got three major things to go through, all of which would be really one day's uh, thing. So we'll, we'll kind of hit some of these. We're going to try to spend enough time on it to get a good sense and then, and then move on. Um, but let's uh, think of this psalm for a moment and think of meditation in particular. If I'm talking and you're sitting there listening, are you engaged? Well, you might be. Okay? You might be actively thinking about, pondering, uh, processing the information. Or you might not be. 
you might your mind might be wandering, or you might be thinking in, in about something else, or what you're going to be doing later. Um, how can you, as a teacher, ensure that people are engaged? Uh, and that, in other words, how can you actively get them involved? Um, and one of those things comes back to, what do we want them to do in their life? Can we do this in our lesson? So let's say we introduce this particular song. Maybe we introduce it the same way I did. We just simply opened up and, and just didn't know who knows where we are, but we just got this scene. And then we just say, let's meditate on this. Let's take us through a meditation. And, and we just basically ask you to sit and close your eyes. Let's just go ahead and take a minute close your eyes. Uh, you don't have to bow your head if you want. You can even face your head up towards heaven. But either way, you're going to just simply relax for a moment. And then picture this scene. Picture this scene. You're there. Okay? And let's do this for a moment. Okay? Let's close our eyes and picture the scene of being in the big congregation, the great congregation of Israel. All the people around you, brushing up against you. They're excited. Things are coming. Uh, we're leading up to a moment. <laughs> Uh, and uh, a great hush comes over the crowd and uh, you're in that crowd and and a musician or a priest stands up and starts uh, the music and now you hear the harps and the lyres playing you can hear that tambourine beat you hear it? Okay, in your mind, it's, it's coming and it's all building, this crescendo leading to something great, something's going to happen and then God speaks and as soon as he does there's this hush and suddenly it's like it's just you and God. And he's talking to you. You're going to ponder each phrase he says. Here are some of his phrases. Meditate on them. Picture something in your life that this reminds you of. Or create an image of this happening. Here's what he says in Psalm 81. I removed the burden from your shoulders. Your hands were set free. In your distress you called and I rescued you. I answered you. If you would but listen to me. You shall have no other gods in your life. I am the Lord your God. Open wide your mouth and I will fill it. But you would not listen to me. if you would just listen to me. Will you follow me now? If you will, I will break through the obstacles in your life. Those who hate me will be punished forever.
but you I will satisfy with a feast. Okay. What were some of your images? What happened emotionally to you through that experience? What was that like? You experienced it, not me, so you have to tell me. Well, um, one time I felt sad. Okay. The part about, what was it about? Not, not following. Not listening to me. Right, I, right. Was, I was, you know, in there, and then that, and I thought, how sad. Yeah. Because right. we've all done that at times. Right. And then to open the mouth took me to a completely different thing. Recently, when I was at my parents, there was a cardinal's nest right outside one of their windows, and there was one baby bird. And we watched mm-hmm. as the mother would come, and the baby had the, the mouth open and would would start making a noise even before the mother got there. Mm-hmm. And I thought, if that baby didn't open its mouth, mm-hmm. it would have died. Because it wouldn't have received what the mother was bringing, and and at one point we thought the baby was too big for the nest and was going to fall out, and the father came and pushed it down. Hmm. So I thought about that bird. Hmm. Good, good, good images. What else? Others or emotions? Doesn't it have to be a picture? Might be a picture like that that suddenly comes to mind. I'm very active in, as a chairperson for the Good News Jail Ministry, hmm? and we just recently had our banquet, which. Financially, it was not where it needed to be. And when you started saying, I'll take your burden. Uh, First you know, line, thought, yep. You're right, Lord. It's mm. not my job. It's your job. All I have to do is obey. Then when we got to the part where you said, um, listen, but you won't listen. And I thought, do I always understand what you're saying? I mean, sometimes mm-hmm. it's so hard to really... Exactly know what he is saying. Mm-hmm. Is it because I'm lazy and don't want to do it, or is it because he's telling me not to do it? Right. You know. Mm-hmm. Good. Excellent. So there's sections in there that troubled you. There's sections that gave you relief or peace. Different emotions. Anything else? Anybody else? How long does that take to do? Not long at all. Is everybody engaged? Well, yes, they may be sleeping. <laughs> they might not be engaged. But nevertheless, as the more we do this, if this is something we want them to do with the Psalms, why don't we do it when we teach? And it only takes a minute or two, right? And we just simply get them to meditate on it, picture themselves being there. Now, if we actually look at Psalm 81, you'll see I changed some of the words. I made it more personal. It was always about they and or they have not listened to me, that kind of thing. And I just changed it to make it personal because I want the person to experience the psalm themselves as if they're there. Okay? Uh, how did it hit you? And you go through kind of most the role of the emotions. We were kind of built up that God's going to speak, something's great going to happen. And sometimes we just think this is going to be a great song on the mountaintop. It's going to be a lot of praise. Um, but uh, you know, psalms many times are in our face with, with like a mirror, and saying, "Well, wait a minute, things aren't all that great," and uh, and it focuses on us. So, so again, we, when we look at um, Psalm 81 um, as just one example, uh, this was one of the uh, covenant psalms, I believe, according to Bill Wilder when he gave out his sheet there, and about talking about a relationship. Really, it's he's going through um, what has happened with. Uh, the people of Israel and how they have rejected him. Now, of course, this is a feast. This was a feast day. 
And it ends, the very last line of the psalm is, I'll satisfy you for the feast. Actually, it talks about honey and bread and all this kind of thing. Uh, so it kind of brings us back to that same concept uh, of the feast uh, where we started, this celebration. Um, but that's one, one technique, one way of engaging. Uh, let's, let's look at a couple others um, that we might have. Um, uh, now, meditating, just doing it in class, right? Uh, obviously, we want them to read the Psalms. And it's been mentioned before, reading different translations. Um, another suggestion is to, um, Eugene Peterson has this book just called Psalms. Um, and I guess as he's talked to people and uh, asked them to meditate or pray the Psalms, um, people would come back and say, well, the language is too hard. It's almost a blockage. So he kind of rewrote the Psalms in modern-day language. Um, let me read you 81, just since that's one we just talked about, uh, and how he's uh, how it comes across here. Psalm 81. A song to our strong God, a shout to the God of Jacob, anthems from the choir, music from the band, sweet sounds from lute and harp, trumpets and trombones and horns. It's festival day, a feast to God, a day decreed by God, solemnly ordered by the God of Jacob. He commanded Joseph to keep this day so we'd never forget what he did in Egypt. I hear this most gentle whisper from one I never guessed would speak to me. I took the world off your shoulders, freed you from a life of hard labor. You called to me in your pain. I got you out of a bad place. I entered you from where the thunder hides. I proved you at Meribah Fountain. Listen, dear ones, get this straight. O Israel, don't take this lightly. Don't take up with strange gods. Don't worship the latest in gods. I'm Yahweh, your God, the very God, who rescued you from doom in Egypt, then fed you all you could eat, filled your stomachs. But my people didn't listen. Israel paid no attention. So I let go of the reins and told them, run, do it your own way. Oh, dear people, will you listen to me now? Israel, will you follow my map? I will make short work of your enemies. Give your foes the back of my hand. I'll send Yahweh haters cringing like dogs, never to be heard from again. You'll feast on my fresh-baked bread, spread with butter and pure honey. (laughs) Take a quick look at Psalm 81. You'll see, of course, what the regular language of that is. But sometimes just a fresher way to look at it, too. And again, this... These readings can be done from different people uh, in your group, just getting them to read them. Um, reader's theater. Okay? We want people to read psalms, get into rhythm. Okay? Reader's theater is just a technique where you can talk about um, uh, or, or arrange different people to uh, read different parts of a pattern. We'll take a look at Psalm 19 for a moment. Psalm 19. Let's just take a look at verses 7 to 9. Just that short section in Psalm 19, verses 7 to 9, very familiar section. The reader's theater would work like this. You'd have different groups reading different parts. And it works really well when you have either a parallelism or, or kind of two parts to a, to a verse, and like these are structured. And basically, you'd have one group read this part out loud, and the other group read the next part 
Okay? And you kind of alternate. You're just kind of alternating back and forth. So let's uh, say we just take uh, everyone from you know, here over and then everyone from here over. Uh, and uh, we'll start with this group. And just reading the very first part of that verse 7. Um, and uh, the law of the Lord is perfect. And then the other group would read reviving the soul. This group over here would then read the statutes of the Lord, okay? And back and forth. Let's just try that for a moment, okay? Starting with the first group. Verse, verse. verse okay, that's a good question. What do we have? I got the New King James. Okay. That one I should, I should have copied this and handed it out. You very, I should have put it on overhead. I wish I had an opaque. I could stick it on there. Oh, well, let's just, we'll just try it anyways. Read it in your own words and see, what, see how it comes out. It will, it will be interesting to hear. Was it verse 7 and 8? Verse 7, 8, and 9. Those three, okay? Let's start anyway. Just read your version. Ready? Over here. First. The law of the Lord is perfect. No, over here. Converting. Converting. Good. Good. Next. Obviously, you want you want the same uh, thing. So either put it up or you, you get it copied. But the idea is is that getting getting the group engaged and, and psalms that have those patterns. Uh, just take a quick look at Psalm 136. Um, anyone know the refrain in 136? This one works well with a reader's theater idea as well. His mercy endures forever, or his love endures forever, whatever it might be. Okay, again, someone reading one section, another, another group reading the other section, and it and it kind of resonates more. Okay, rather than just somebody reading the whole thing. Um, so different ways of reading. Uh, these songs can be uh, songs can be put this to music. Okay, why not sing them? I think this one was. I mean, you look at that first couple verses there. Sounds like the words of the song. Give thanks to the Lord for His good, His love endures forever, right? And I think those are actual words of the song. Michael uh, W. Smith has got a lot of these that he's put to music. Maybe bring one in, okay, and play play for music, okay, and let them let them hear this, uh, see how it comes out. Um, okay, singing, meditating, reading. How about praying? Um, not easy if it's a different language. You're not used to the language. Uh, you might use it into more contemporary language. Um, but let's look at uh, Psalm 13 for a moment as a prayer. I picked a short one here. Um, Psalm 13. Oh, thank you. Okay, would someone like to just read that, whatever translation you might have, uh, for everybody to hear? How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and hear me, O Lord, my God, and lighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say... I have prevailed against him. Thus those who trouble me rejoice and be moved. But I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. 
I will say to the Lord, because he has dealt bountifully with me. Okay, now you could take a, a psalm like that and have people pray it. Uh, but let's uh, suppose we take everyone back to a moment in your life where you had suffering or when you might have felt this way, um, felt actually that uh, God didn't seem to be acting in your life and you needed him. How long must I wrestle my thoughts every day uh, and triumph? Um, and then moving into, but I will trust in your unfailing love. And supposing we just say, let's, let's alter the words personally for you a minute. Take a pencil and maybe we uh, rewrite this for yourself. Okay? Um, take a minute and just think about that. And maybe just take one of those sentences and how you might substitute some words to make it personal for you. And just look through the psalm. What might be a verse that you might reword because this is how you felt? Verse 2 is a good place to do that. Any thoughts? I go back to enlighten my eyes because that's a big question. Okay. Uh, the end of verse 3 there. Um, lest I sleep the sleep of death. In other words, lest I miss what you're trying to tell me is how, is how I'm okay. thinking it. Okay. Uh, let's supposing. Let's just look at verse one and two for a moment. How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me? How long will you hide your face from me? Supposing I said now a personal line. Next verse. I've had this disease for months now, and I've received no help from you. And then go on with the verse. Um, just substituting something in to to feel the pain. Uh, and to share in the lament, okay? to make it yours, um, things like that. So uh, another way of praying the psalm. So it's one thing to pray verbatim, and then also, well, if this is going to be our instruction on how we pray, then why not in our group do some things where, okay, have everybody write something down. I'd like you to take this, this lament. Here's the form of a lament. Write your own psalm. Uh, I want a lament, and, and here's the structure of a lament. Or just give them a psalm like this and just say, just change a verse here or two so it's personal. Maybe then in their small groups, they can share them with each other. You know? But you, uh, as a teacher, is doing this with the group. right? And you're connecting them with the text. Okay? You're bringing their life right smack into the middle of the text uh, and getting them to think and, and weigh it out. Right? Uh, so three different things. And all I really tried to do myself is think of what have I heard the last few weeks that we want to do with the Psalms. I've heard people talk about meditating or reading them, praying them, singing them. So I said, okay, let's think about those. How can we do that in class? What kinds of activities can we create so that we are doing those things here? We're kind of practicing. Because it was once you do it, then you'll do it at home. Okay, You'll do it in your own private uh, time with God and in your study, personal study time. Um, engaging. Okay, That's the first thing. How do we engage the life into the text? How do we draw them in? Okay? Uh, identify what it is you want them to do. Now maybe in your particular psalm that you choose, there's something completely different you want them to do. Okay, It's not these, but it's something that is a real message of the psalm. And it, maybe it is a new perspective, but it works itself. Try to see how does it work itself out in life? What does it look like? 
if you really have been changed. What's changed? Okay? Find something really specific and then try to bring that into your lesson so that they're actually experiencing that uh, in one way uh, or another. Uh, having them just simply stop and write, take a minute to write this down is one very important way to get everybody engaged now, everybody thinking, everybody applying it. Um, so write down how this might, uh, you know, how this might affect you. Put in your own sorrow or lament in verse two, uh, and then maybe do the same thing in verse five or six, uh, where you are now trusting in God. Rewrite that in your words and how you're going to deal with uh, the sorrow or suffering that you're going through. Okay. All different things, that uh, uh, ways to engage. Okay, that's the first of three that we want to do this morning. Um, second thing I want to look at is, uh, any, any comment on that or other ideas? What other things are you, you're thinking about that? Here's a way of engaging somebody in the text. Um, I just picked a couple. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking if there's um, a lot of the songs talk about your enemies, people have trouble getting along with them. Right. Um, I was just thinking we could easily stop and have them think of the person they're having trouble dealing with. And, right. And apply this psalm as the teaching goes on to that situation. Right, and put you can put the name in the psalm for that matter. Well, at least yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, if they're sharing it or <laughs> something else. Uh, otherwise, no name. Very good. Yeah, it's just a matter of thinking about it, right? It's just a matter of coming up to terms with how how will this relate to me. We want to get away from the general into the specific. We tend to talk about it needs to impact your life and apply it to your life. And when you're suffering, do this. But now get specific and get them to think of, okay, here's a case where I have suffered. Or here's a case where I've uh, had a difficulty with an interaction with somebody. And, and, and let me use this psalm to help me work through that. Um, that's the goal. That's what we're trying to do. Okay. Uh, let me get these passed out here. I've got... Um, some handouts on, on this actually, so um, I'll just pass it all around. What was the song that you had that we sang? The first one? No, the reading alternate. Um, we did, uh, the, you mean the, the second one? There was 136, which is Love Endures Forever? No, the other one. Uh, that was 19, Psalm 19 with the statutes and, okay. Okay. Um, yeah, on the sheet going around, just in terms of what the three things we're looking at here uh, today, how to engage the learner. Um, think about are you keeping them actively involved? And secondly, are you doing something in class, which is what you want them to be doing? Okay, and just that's how and get them active. It doesn't take long. It's not going to steal a lot of your meat, right? What it's going to do is it's going to enrich it. Okay, and you're going to be making these connections right throughout. Uh, if you think of your lesson as chunks, I'm going to do a 10-minute instruction, and then I'm going to tie it into their life. And I'm going to do a 10-minute, and I'm going to do something, some little two-minute activity that ties it into their life. Uh, it gets them thinking, pondering. Writing, talking, meditating, whatever it might be. Okay, understanding the learner. Um, there's a lot that can be said here, and 
what I want to do is just kind of touch in, in, in very general on, on some of these. And some of these will go in a little detail, but uh, um, in the interest of time, just the idea of keeping these things in mind. Knowing who this person is, what stage of life are they in? Okay? So in your group, you might have people who are single, married, divorced, single parent, not a parent, empty nester parent, uh, any number of scenarios. Okay? And thinking about that when you want to make your connection. So when you're saying, we're going we're gonna to pray a psalm, Okay, if you're aware that your group has got certain, you know, whatever their needs are, whatever it might be, their situations, suggest some of those, prompt some of those. Okay, so maybe uh, we integrate where they are in their stage of life into this and being aware of what the issues are at that point. Um, stages of faith, I'd just like to touch on very briefly. Um, there's some interesting literature on this that... Uh, Okay. How do I get this to go up a little? I don't want to be in the way here, but uh, can you see? Okay. Uh, Fowler did uh, that's a great uh, study with uh, not a study but so much in terms of research on what are the stages came up with six stages of faith development this is an important one just to think about in terms of the people in your uh, in your group because people are going to be in different places in, in terms of their spiritual maturity um, now the first two stages that he had here um, relate more to uh, children uh, where parents are the primary um, caregivers and uh, that's pretty much all that they're uh, talking about or dealing with. But when we get to page uh, three or number three, the third stage, uh, this is identification with a particular denomination. Uh, and it's often, uh, for instance, children that grew up in a particular church, they think a particular way uh, with that particular denominational uh, creed or, or uh, associate with a particular seminary or a particular doctrine. Uh, obviously, our church does, all churches do. Okay? But this would be that kind of, kind of blind kind of, uh, okay, well, I go here, this is what we believe, that's, that's all there is to it uh, kind of a thing, and just accepting that. So it's a stage where now uh, they've gone from uh, whatever my parents tell me, uh, it kind of dictates my faith, to now the church is giving me instruction, the church is, is, is helping me, and I have a question I want the pastor to tell me what I should believe okay, uh, about this. And um, that would be uh, this stage here, the uh, particular denomination area. Um, at stage four is where it kind of becomes uh, their own. Now, in order for it to become their own, uh, someone has to question where they are. And this is why it gets hard for us okay, as teachers, especially when we're coming from one particular perspective. Because in one sense, to get them to grow, we have to encourage them to think outside our one way of thinking. And it's important to question some of the, the actual tenets, the points, because we want them to grow and think about these. And then it has to come to where they choose it. I mean, it's, it's, it's just like anything else in life. You know, as a parent, we can tell each other, well, this is what I want you to do, so I want you to do. And in some ways, we wish we could just kind of control them and, and they would just do everything we say, right? But there comes a point where they just have to kind of find out from themselves. And then when they do, it becomes their own. 
Okay? So there's this, this aspect of faith growth where people uh, actually become, uh, faith becomes their own um, at this level. Where's my hand? Uh... This is, uh, often begins around age 17 and right up through adult. Investigating faith on their own uh, begins that process of examining your faith, making those questions. Uh, people here take their faith very seriously. It's not just I go to this church, so therefore I'm a whatever, you know, Lutheran or whatever it might be. Um, they can stand on their own their faith. Um, many adults, that's as far as they get, which is which is good. I mean, their faith is their own, and they, they have accepted this and, and are pursued it. They don't necessarily resolve certain tensions, uh, but this is where they are. Um, often it's the tensions that cause us to push a little harder, because just that doesn't necessarily answer these things. Stage five, um, usually associated with more middle age on a maturing Christian, um, this idea that all truth is God's truth. Um, no denomination, no church, no theological creed has all the answers exactly right. Okay. Uh, there might be some better than others and good ways of looking at it, not good ways of looking at it, or better ways of looking at it. But this idea that it's God's, God's truth, and if it's true, it belongs to God. And, uh, and this, is, this is taking us beyond being, uh, I'm of this theological persuasion, to uh, these are the things that I really find dear or hold dear in this theological persuasion. But I might have this point and this point where I differ because I'm finding you know, there's just some other areas here uh, that don't speak to that. It might be that you adhere completely to a theology. You don't have to have differences. But it's not that your motivation is what the denomination is saying. Your motivation now is God's truth, God's word, and this is where I'm going, uh, going with this. Um, this is a very high level of, of maturity. Uh, the last one, uh, Fowler says, uh, you don't see too often. This is that kind of communion with God stage um, where uh, somebody's basically uh, uh, in this deep, joyous communion with God. Uh, they're beyond analyzing and theologizing. Uh, it's, it's basically communion. Uh, they've reached a whole different state, you know, and you might think of different people in the Bible who may have reached uh, that particular level that we might admire um, or look, look to. Um, ultimate truth and ultimate reality are known not just through the media, uh, mediation of Scripture, but also through direct experiences with God at this level. Okay. Um, so it, it's one that uh, where we're going. But the, the purpose here is to look in terms of you want people to move in this direction. Okay? So as you're teaching and as you're talking about things, uh, and people raise a question, well, what does the church believe on this point? And you want to answer the question, this is what the church believes on that point. But you also want to leave some things open-ended so that people will realize, I have to pursue this thinking on my own. So maybe it's, read this book, here's a good good uh, approach to this. So here's three different views on that. Uh, and I think that's, that's something that's just a very healthy way to do it. Sometimes it's difficult because we don't, there's a risk. The risk is they might decide, no, I don't think I agree with that. <laughs> and, and particularly in a denominational situation, we're wanting them to adhere to a certain doctrine. Right? But if it's not their own, what good is it? Okay? So it's a matter of, of bringing that out and, and taking that risk uh, with them on those things. So those are stages of faith, and that's uh, something that um, 
that you want to keep in mind as you uh, are teaching as well in terms of understanding where people are. Uh, there's, uh, I mentioned also here uh, moral development. Um, I won't say too much there um, with the exception that uh, um, the studies on, on women in particular um, found that uh, two significant uh, differences between men and women. The women described themselves in the context of their relationships in terms of what's right and wrong. In other words, if it was hurting somebody, then there was something wrong with it. Or if it hurt the relationship, then there was something wrong with the behavior in terms of what's right and wrong. Uh, the understanding of morality was rooted in a sense of responsibility to care for people. And many times men were more abstract. It didn't, it didn't matter. And they were looking at more just these principles kind of thing. So uh, they tend to be more rooted in, in that uh, uh, situation. So what you have uh, there is that at an early level of moral development, you're basically self-centered, and if you're cared for, your needs are cared for, you're happy. But with maturity, you get to a point where uh, you know it's, it's a matter of being good, caring for others, self-sacrifice. So rather than self-centered, it becomes self-sacrifice. And then, of course, as time goes on, this doesn't hold up because you start getting resentment maybe that you're sacrificing and no one else is, or you're, you're good, but you feel guilty that you're not good enough, and basically to resolve this tension, uh, you grow. And so usually growth is, occurs when we resolve tension, whether it's a growth in our faith or growth, morally speaking, to where we have some general principles, whether they be honesty with each other. So for women, many times it's dealing with relationships, honesty with each other, uh, you know, uh, listening to each other. Uh, the interdependence of people and truth. So um, those things are uh, how we would relate to uh, stages of moral development. Okay. Let me t- uh, touch on quickly. I'm just going to go down these very quickly, but it's the... Uh, yeah. On, on both this one and the last one, the point of understanding the different stages is to... Know your audience and make sure you're addressing the concerns that your audience would have. Know your audience. Know that people are at different levels, at different places. And so when a question, say you're in a situation, a question is raised, um, many times a question might indicate where they're, what kind of answer they're looking for. They may want just a simple, direct answer, tell me what to believe, right? So if that's, that's what it is, you want you be able to push that to, well, let's look at different ways of looking at that issue, right? Which might cause some tension or, or you know, kind of thing. But you're, what you're doing is you're trying to push them to a higher level of thinking and not just, don't look to me to tell you what to believe. Look to me to maybe give you direction on things, you know, areas to examine. So it's a matter of being aware that there are different levels uh, and that whatever your particular level is isn't necessarily where everyone else is. Uh, they could be further along or not as far. So, so certainly this would make a difference if you're teaching a uh, sixth grade Bible study versus a youth group. Yes. And the kinds of questions and issues that they're going to have, how they evaluate right and wrong. So, so for the person in the middle stages of moral development, uh, if it's the consequences many times. So if you can get away with it, it's okay. And, of course, many adults never get out of that way of thinking. It's just a matter of what can I get away with in life, right? Um, but as they grow, well, no, it doesn't matter whether you get away with it. There's a right and wrong either way, even if nobody knows kind of thing. Uh, that's a higher level. And so it kind of tells you where people are. And there are adults who are at all these levels, self-absorbed adults who are still at level one, just as long as I'm taking care of me first. And, and we promote that in our society, really, you know, is that, that perspective. So you're aware of that perspective, that that's actually a way of looking at that moral thinking. 
and and you want to push ahead on that. So when you, if you see something that way, well, this is how I look at it. You know, if, if that doesn't please me, then I'm not interested. All right, so let's examine that. Let's see if we can't push that up the, the scale kind of thing. So, um, it's understanding that these are all factors that contribute to impacting a life. Okay? If we're talking about we want to impact a life, we can say, well, what does this have to do with the text? Well, what it has to do with is this over here. It has to do with, am I, are we developing in faith? Are we growing in our faith? This is one of the things that we want to do. So what does that mean? How do we grow in faith? What happens when a person grows in faith? Where do they become? And so these are just ways of looking at that uh, to help us help us with it. Let me get uh, one other perspective, and that's uh, types of learners. And I have these uh, four learning styles. They're also important to think about because when we talk about people and their learning, um, people approach learning differently. They, they just learn differently. You kind of have these four different categories, very general, right? Uh, but basically, uh, you've got to be careful. You're not addressing only one of these types of learners. Generally, people will fall into one of these four categories. The first type of learner is what we call this answerer. The answer likes the traditional lecture approach. The answer is, is most teachers, at least school teachers, favorite students because they just they, they just want more. They take notes. They take it in. Uh, they learn well by lecture, by listening uh, and recording and reading and processing and doing whatever they're supposed to do, the assignments kind of a thing. Uh, very, very strong learner. Many of the times these are the ones who come to our classes because our classes often are just presenting information. <laughs> so we attract these type of learner. Some people, we had this discussion a couple years ago and, and we had the, the comment, well, at Trinity, you know, we're more intellectual, university-oriented church. I think we're just about more of these people. You know? Uh, but it's not true. I tell you, first of all, a lot of the answers are married to dancers or <laughs> related. And uh, one of them's coming with the other and they're totally not interested and they don't like the class and they go, oh, well, I like that. Was that great? No, I didn't like it at all. You know? And uh, they're all, they're, we've got them all here. And uh, it's just a matter of who's coming or who's getting anything out of it. Uh, so your traditional lecture, maybe you're hitting 25% of your people uh, if you get up and basically present in a lecture. You're not making those connections. The dancer. Uh, most of your, your dropouts in school are dancers. These are people that learn by doing. They learn by doing. Uh, they're spontaneous. Uh, they're impulsive uh, often. Uh, they need hands-on things. Right? The dancer is a good one to, to role-play. Can you role-play a song? Of course you can. A lot of these songs, some of them are abstract. A lot of them, it's really, sure, you can role-play a lament. You can role-play this whole 181 that we were doing in terms of the music going. And, uh, in a sense, the meditation is almost a role-play. Uh, it's an internal role-play. But the dancers need to do something. They're the ones you want to get out of their seat somehow. Uh, get them engaged. Uh, we, uh, we don't attract a lot of dancers to our classes. Right? It's just they're not getting anything out of it. And they're, they're bored. They can't attend uh, to what's being said. Uh, and they're not there. Uh, 
Uh, relators. Relators prefer the discussion. They like a good discussion in the, uh, in the class. Uh, they learn more by hearing different ideas and, and putting them together. Uh, they're concerned with harmony. They're concerned with personal interactions. Um, uh, and that relating is how they learn best. Uh, they learn more when the teacher gets off the topic and we get into this discussion than they do when the teacher is presenting information. Because okay? there's just this. So in one sense, to, for the relator, you want to get off the topic. When someone raises an issue and a question and it's not, it's a little off topic. So what? Get into it. You're going to really relate. The only relators will be will be really listening and learning a lot. Just tie that into as best you can to what you're discussing. The debater is a highly motivated uh, learner. By, he wants to learn just because he wants to know the debater. Works well independently. These people usually are the ones that raise questions, analyze a lot, um, give me information. Uh, they're going to approach learning by a highly debative kind of style. They like to get one-on-one with somebody and discuss this issue down to the nth degree kind of thing. Um, different learning styles. If we have them all there, when we plan a lesson, we have to think of, am I appealing only to answers? We're right about the dancers in my crowd. A good example of a dancer, um, a few years back I um, did a class with uh, the youth group on C.S. Lewis's uh, Great Divorce. And in his great divorce, uh, if you're familiar with the story, basically there's a line of people waiting to get on the bus in hell to go up to heaven. And Lewis is on the line, the author. And uh, he goes up and he kind of overhears different conversations. And when he gets to heaven, they're at the very fringe of heaven, you know, because their bodies couldn't stand to walk on the grass. Uh, so they have to be at the very edge of heaven. And But they all start meeting people that come to meet them to kind of persuade them to, you know, change and stay. You know, to stay. It's going to be hard, but stay. Anyways, each one of these scenes, he meets somebody, okay, and they discuss these, uh, as this discussion that gives you tremendous theological insight as well as personal insight into how we think and how we can be misled in our thinking. Um, but I thought these would be great little skits to do. Okay? Uh, and uh, it's, it's interesting because it isn't necessarily your best student that's jumping up and saying, I'll do it. But, uh, and I always wonder, well, you know, I'm not the one that wants to get up and do a skit in front of a group. You know? So I, I wouldn't do it. Am I going to get any volunteers? You know? But at the time it was Randy Drawn that was here, and he assured me, oh, I can just see the kids. I know the kids will just love this. You know? So I said, okay, and I'll do this. And so I uh, said, I need some volunteers. I had the scripts already. And bang, there'd be one, two, three, four. And, and uh, I remember Randy telling me later, you know, I can't believe, you know, these are, it was so nice to see. These are the kids that were never, they're never involved in anything. They're never discussing the things. They kind of come, you know, because they're brought, but now they were involved. And these were, they were the dancers, you know. They, they needed to be involved in some way. Um, so uh, keep that in mind. Is look and think about how do I reach people like that. The relators, uh, certainly uh, in the discussion, you have discussion groups in your sessions already, so you're, you're built in there for that, that person as well. Uh, and the debater in terms of raising the, uh, the issues and the uh, analyzing. So four, four ways of, of, of learning, really, different learning styles that, that can occur. Okay, I want to, uh, we're going to stop there uh, with, with that part and go on to our third section here. Um, on your sheet, I mentioned um, not only uh, four types of learners, but processing differences. And that's really just rooted in um, multiple intelligence theory uh, that talks about rather than two types of intelligences, which is generally how we test intelligence, we test linguistic ability, we test mathematical ability. Uh, there's really just two of about eight different types of intelligences. And when you understand the different intelligences, you can think about uh, different strategies. Uh, matter of fact, I brought a handout on this that I just give out, I think, rather than, than cover. Um, 
and uh, this sort of thing is very helpful. Let me just pass this around. You there? Let me get one. Uh, this is very helpful in planning a lesson as well because not only do you have answers, dancers, um, debaters, and relators, uh, but you've got some people who are gifted linguistically. You have other people who are gifted uh, mathematically or logically. Some are very spatial, some bodily kinesthetic. These are just simply uh, techniques or strategies you can do that appeal to these people. So did everyone get one? Did you get one? Okay. Okay. Um, for instance, linguistic. To appeal to the linguistics, storytelling, brainstorming, journal writing. So you could have them journal about the psalm that they read. Okay. This would appeal to this person. They would like to do that kind of a thing. They would be good at it, and they would process information well. The logical, mathematical, calculation, quantifications. Maybe they count the meter or they count the rhythm. They're, they're, they would be interest, interested maybe in the structure of the psalms. Classifications and categorizations. They would like the. This, they would appeal to this whole immense the these different categories, these different structures. Uh, the, the Socratic questioning uh, would be a technique, again, to use uh, for them. Spatial learners, and not lay learners, I shouldn't say spatial learners. These are processors. This is how we process information well. You know, so you're, you're gifted spatially. For instance, if you're an artist, you, know, you just have this gifted spatial view of things. Uh, and that might be never measured on an intelligence test, but the research is now showing more and more that these are actually just as bona fide measures of intelligence as a linguistic uh, measure might be. Uh, bodily kinesthetic intelligence, your gifted athletes, you might think of, for instance. Dancers. Um, you could dance a song. Okay? Uh, you could, so there's different ways. Is there a way to express this song in dance? Which of our four learners are we going to appeal to? <laughs> the dancer, obviously, right? I mean, he'd love to get up and somehow be able to express that that way. Um, don't go by what you would like, all right? Because you have your own set of strengths and weaknesses. What do we do as teachers? Our strengths become our weaknesses, right? So if I'm a relator, that's my teaching style. We're discussing everything. We relate. And I'm reaching all the relators, but that's about it. If I'm an answer, I get up there and I like to give out the information because it's how I love it. I just want to, more information, the better. And I like to dish it out. And if I know if I was a student in my class, I'd be eating it up. <laughs> and all the answers are loving you. <laughs> right? But it's, in terms of, think about it, you could be your greatest weakness too. Okay? Because you tend to rely too much on that particular area. So look at these other interpersonal intelligences, people who are very good, obviously, with relationships. So peer sharing, cooperative projects, simulations. Intrapersonal is more within yourself. So this is someone who ponders on their own. They like to take the walk by themselves. They'd rather go by themselves. Uh, the person that maybe when they're going through a lament or a grief would rather be alone. You know, and, and the interpersonal person doesn't understand. He says, oh, we can't be alone in this situation. We have to make sure he's always somebody with him. You know? Um, I remember going through that experience myself at times, you know. And it was um, actually when my mom died, you know. It was like it was, I was never left alone. And it was because the people were cared. And I just, sometimes I just wanted to be alone, you know. <laughs> oh, but like, don't let them be alone in there, you know, if you're going in. And it was very hard in one sense because relators were thinking, or interpersonal people were thinking, hey, you know, I, I would never want to be alone. <laughs> So I've got to make sure I'm with this person. They don't understand this. And so, no, I really would just like to be alone. Uh, and I can process what's going on better. Um, 
at the naturalist is uh, kind of this kind of nature gifted person. So anytime you deal with psalms of creation, think of things you might do for the naturalist. These are people who just have a knack for it's like that green thumb, you know. We don't know what it is, but for some reason there's that part of the brain where people have this knack for things with nature uh, or even plant identification. They may not know the vocabulary because they haven't had the education, but they just recognize, oh, I know that's the same tree that's in the backyard at so-and-so's place, you know. Uh, or I recognize that blossom or they see it in a print and they say, oh, that's the blossom that's in my garden. Um, it's just all this uh, common, uh, common things. But these are techniques to use. So when you're teaching, you look at this. Say, okay, I've got all these different kinds of intelligence in my room, I could tap from this, you know, so you kind of want to try to do different things here, okay, so basically when you're, when, in terms of doing your lesson. Okay, lastly, slip over to the back sheet there. One of the main things is the uh, lesson format itself. There is no one lesson format you should have. I'm not saying this is the lesson format you should do. Where, I wonder where the rest of my notes are. I had an overhead for this. Had them all. Oh, here we are. Um, I was going to talk a little bit about research on women, but the main thrust of it is uh, connecting experience is a big, big thing um, for everybody, and it really came out with women. If you start your lesson with some sort of emotional connection or personal connection, better than emotional connection, um, this is on that second sheet of your handout. Um, well, it's on the first sheet as well. I put a little time time schedule there in terms of how many minutes you might spend on each of these. Um, but uh, starting with a personal connection, uh, you'll see this chart on the back. That second sheet, you'll see this chart? And basically, I just kind of put parts of this lesson into this chart of how we think of the text in our life and uh, basically laid out a reference guide for when you're planning a lesson kind of thing. Right? So if you want to start with a... That says emotional, but I like the word personal connection better. You're starting right in, in experience. Okay? You're doing something that's saying to them, have you ever? Okay? For instance, different ways to start. You're prompting them to relate with the text. Right away, we're starting right here. First thing, this is the most important we should be starting right here. So your initial thing is prompt them uh, with uh, some sort of personal connection. It could be a rhetorical question. Have you ever felt that God left you alone? <laughs> ever felt that way? That could be an introduction to maybe a limit that you're going to be studying. Um, uh, have you ever wanted to get back at somebody? <laughs> have you ever felt guilty about wanting to get back? These are rhetorical questions that you could ask. And just simply prompt. Give them some time to think about that. Maybe give them a piece of paper and let them jot some things down, some thoughts down, just for their own purpose. But you're getting them actively engaged, and you're getting them to think and start off with a personal connection. So your knowledge of the psalm, you know what you really want them to get out of this. So you generate, what is it that personal prompt I can give them right here? How can I get them to connect personally with this? It could be an interesting thought you just provide. It could be something you share with them. It could be a challenge, an inspiration. You might begin Psalm 81 with just simply a, put them in that environment and, and here's the music playing and it's all beginning and something big is going to happen and we're going to find out what it is. <laughs> we just kind of get them all keyed up for it. Um, it could be a brief story you're sharing about yourself when you study the psalm. You know, we're studying and just you're sharing that with them, but you're somehow getting that personal connection. It could be something they write, write down three experiences you've had where this happened. But you somehow you start there. And once you start there, you now have meaning to go here. Okay? This is your springboard to get over to the text side. All right? 
You need this to pull out your background information. And all I did on this side is I took everything from the last few lessons and I kind of jotted down. Okay, just for a reference sheet here. So it's kind of like your lesson thing. So your background. You want to start now up here. Of course, I've got review. So if you're teaching three or four lessons in a row, you want to always do a review that's tying it together so we know where your thing fits in in the whole. A lot of you are doing a one-time psalm, so the review wouldn't necessarily be part of your what you're doing. Just coming up for a one-time. Um, but if you are, then you certainly want to do the review. So then you get into uh, background. This is where you want to fill in the historical background, cultural context. Find out what they know. So when you do this, use questions, right? You ask, what do we know about uh, the feasts, if we're doing Psalm 81? Okay? What do we know about that? What do we, and just get them talking about what they know. Get the input. And then you fill in the gaps. Okay? Um, this is where you might talk about the category of your psalm or the structure, the poetic structure of your psalm. You're not spending a lot of time here. This is just five minutes, maybe ten minutes, if there's a lot of information to, uh, to do. You want to also let them know where you're going with this. Right? But the main part of your lesson is here. And, of course, here's all the points that we've discussed or has been discussed over, over a while. Looking to the structure, raise questions. Right, David did that a few times with Psalms. Remember, he underlined certain phrases that were common. And let's look at the structure. Why is this verse here? Uh, why is that different? Related to other Psalms in the genre, that's helpful for interpretation. So you don't necessarily do that all the time. But if it's helpful, then you might bring that in in your lesson. Examine Old Testament, New Testament references. I think Bill Weiler gave out a good sheet on that. Um, Excellent sheet on that uh, to help with that. Uh, note the internal unity of the psalm. So that's where you're saying, well, why did the psalm begin with a feast and end with a feast? Why did it begin with this but end with that? Uh, it's like that one, Psalm 137, you know, begins with one thing and ends with babies, um, which I wanted to use that one as a model table. We're not going to get to it. Um, but we have uh, the, uh, what is the what is the change in this pattern? So that's all there. Okay, how does this fit with the broad message, message of Scripture, which basically can be summed up usually in gospel and kingdom? The message either is about the gospel, or it's about God's kingdom on earth. So one of those two. Um, and what does it tell us about the character of God? So those are all things that came up. But look on the other side. This is more where I want your attention here because this is what we're focusing on. You know, share your personal struggles, your questions through the process that you had when you studied this passage. Ask questions throughout. You know, that engages people. Just keep asking questions. Why this? Why that? They don't have to answer. It could just be questions for them to think. But give them time to think. Ask questions throughout. Provide illustrations from your own experience. Right? Solicit the illustrations from them. Okay? Um, everyone, uh, engage everyone throughout. So alternating modalities is kind of, am I talking the whole time? Well, then don't talk the whole time. Get them to write. Get them to read. Get them to act out. Get this whole just changing. Take a look at that multiple intelligence thing and just do different kinds of things in your group. Um, Nick's application with activities instruction relate in the, to the different stages of life in the group. You know, we kind of talked about that, where people are. Encourage higher levels of faith, moral development. So you want to boost that. You want to encourage that. Okay? Uh, do in class what you want them to do at home. Right? Read it, pray it, meditate it, sing it. Personalize it. Write about it. Journal about it. Whatever it is, do it in your, in your session, and you'll get them doing it at home. Uh, finally, the, the summary at the end, you always need to allow a little time for closure. Um, and you want to tie into your key broad themes again of your study. Okay? Um, what have we learned? Um, 
maybe you assign something, maybe but try to make it a spiritual application. Try you know avoid moralizing in your conclusion. So we should all be doing this, you know, kind of thing. Uh, promise you'll do this, but you do want to purpose something in their heart, as it says on the right side. Come back to your initial question. So if you when you made that personal connection in the very beginning. At the very end, come back to that. Okay, Come back to that and say, okay, remember when I asked you, did you ever experience this? Now, what has the psalm taught us about that? How would you now answer that question of your own? Get them to reflect on that. Um, reflect on the meaning of the psalm in your life, the um, purpose in your heart. Okay, I think that pretty well does our time. Um, but it would be fun as you take this psalm, just kind of go through here in terms of preparing your lesson. You don't have to do all this in the brief. This is just kind of a general guide of things to cover, techniques to use, and how you might apply them uh, uh, as teaching your lesson. Okay. Why don't we close in prayer then? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for the opportunity just to study your word. And Lord, for the opportunity also to share it, uh, to share it with others, to be your channel, uh, to speak to others. Speak to us, Lord, through this process. And as we go forward in this, Lord, um, we ask that our lives will be enriched and we will be changed in what we do, that we will listen to you, uh, and that we will follow you.